Welcome to Season 2 of the Sales Competition Show, where we share the latest sales performance research, insights, and solutions through in-depth discussions with industry experts. Our goal for Season 2 is to enable our listeners to make smarter decisions based on real-world data and behavioral psychology. Join us for more holistic conversations and discussion about sales compensation and Salesforce effectiveness that will improve the lives and careers of both current and future sales comp leaders. I'm your host, Nabil Alizam. So today we're thrilled to have John Waldron, the Director of Total Rewards, Global Compensation at PepsiCo, where he leads the Compensation Center of Expertise, and he manages strategies for over 210,000 associates worldwide. John has over 26 years of experience across sales, sales ops, and sales compensation. I'm very excited to have him on the show. John, welcome to the show. Super excited to be here. Um, I can't, can't wait to get into it. Absolutely. I feel like you and I probably both spend a lot of our days talking about sales comp. And so super excited to kind of share your expertise and your experiences with the audience that's listening today. You know, funny enough, I know it was about a month ago now that we we saw each other at World at Work at Sales Comp Conference. And I think when we first met, it was a year and a month ago at the previous mm-hmm. World at Work show. And, you know, for me, I think there's an element of the question I'd asked you is how you got into sales comp. I always find it intriguing because no one wakes up thinking that they're going to go into that role, but we found ourselves here somehow. And so I think that journey is, you know, is is very interesting, but would love to have you share, you know, your background, your experience, and tell us a little more about yourself, especially given your journey to where you are now in the world of sales comp. Yeah, I'd love to. So I changed my kind of childhood dream occupation, you know, several times growing up and thought about it. I can barely explain what I do today to like professional adults. I couldn't imagine trying to explain to myself as a a child what being a sales compensation uh, professional is, but kind of fumbled my way into sales and really loved sales and started to, you know, kind of elevate up through sales into sales management and sales leadership and then started touching some kind of sales ops and partnerships with finance as it related to rebates and as I started to really kind of see beyond just being out there in the field for selling, I started thinking, gosh, I could probably bring a lot of value to what's behind the scenes. And, you know, really started thinking about sales ops, sales planning. And and the longer I was in sales, the more I was kind of like, gosh, there's so much we can do with data these days. And I think planning, you know, makes a lot of sense for me. And so at the time, I went to do an MBA and I was really leaning towards kind of being a revenue ops leader, although that wasn't really a thing at the time, but then really started thinking and really wanted to go deep in analytics and the term data science had really just been kind of coined and wasn't really common vernacular yet, but I was kind of like, no, I should actually go into data science because I can do all kinds of stuff. And so that's where I went really deep on and Doing the MBA, I ended up getting assigned a project on exec comp and some other kind of performance related projects. And I found them fascinating. And I started really thinking about it. And and I'm like, gosh, sales comp and incentive plans are really the intersection of business and people. And it was something I that really kind of just lit a flame, I guess you could say. And uh, So I started exploring and looking into it and then ended up having the opportunity to come over at a very unique point in time within my company, PepsiCo, to work on a a huge sales transformation and really take my sales background and experience and really start to build onto that foundation with SalesConf. I feel like that background of having been a seller, having experienced it, it brings a different component for sure. And kind of that ability to empathize with the role. I guess I'll share a personal story for me. I had a, you know, a mentor and a previous colleague of mine, when I went into the world of sales comp, asked me very bluntly, are you sure you want to be in sales comp for the rest of your life? And so I'm, I, I'm interested as you made that shift over that tidal wave of all the all the things that need to get done, the complexity, the nuances that are required to execute on both the planning and execution side of sales. I'm curious from your perspective, how did you manage and deal with that? Because obviously it's a big shift to make that plunge, take that first step. 
Yeah, I kind of went into it thinking, well, let me just try this out and see what I think. And it's funny because honestly, I think the job that I ended up taking if the job description would have reflected what the responsibilities actually ended up being, I may not have done the trial because it ended up being a lot more than what I had been told. And so, but it was really, I would say, a really great experience because if you think about PepsiCo, we're on every major street, really at least every week, if not every single day. And that's that's true really around most countries around the globe. And we operate at over 200 companies. And we pretty much do sales compensation ubiquitously to some form or fashion. We're doing it in, in every one of those businesses. But really, before I, I entered into that role, there had really been nobody in the company that had ever really focused on leadership from a sales comp perspective full time. And so it had always been kind of a responsibility added on to other leaders. And so this was with our biggest business globally. And so being focused 100% on sales comp, having extremely short sales cycles, so we're, we're talking 24 to 48 hours, and we're talking monthly performance timeframes, and we did a significant change from a commission plan to a bonus plan. And I had the opportunity to essentially get a lot of very frequent and, and almost intensive, if you will, feedback from about 25,000 people about sales comp and processes. And this went from our actual sales representatives up to our president of sales and kind of everybody in between. So getting a lot of that feedback leading us through all of those changes and and having to navigate so many things, including ICM, SPM, implementation and administration. It really was like the perfect crash course opportunity to really learn an extremely large amount in, in a very short time window. And probably few people get the opportunity to experience that level of intensity. And it's nice to reflect back on now having it in the rear view window because I benefit immensely from all of that experience experience today, but it, it was a big challenge. I feel like the 10,000 hours that you need to put in, which if you think about 2,000 hours every work year, yeah, you know, it's five years. If you can get it done in two, that's pretty strained, but you gain that expertise. So I'm curious as, as it kind of like to dig in on this transformation. So you made the, the jump into sales comp as this transformation was happening. And so how did you ramp up on the core underlying foundations of sales comp and that experience? And applying it in the middle of this dynamic shift, be helpful to understand the resources you leaned on, how you approached it, having never done it before. Yeah. Well, I would say the stars align in a lot of ways that worked out very, very well. And I really had a champion of the transformation that really empowered me to really bring forward a lot of ways to make it come to life because there were so many things that we knew weren't scalable. And so we were iteratively expanding and growing the conversion. We weren't doing it bright, you know, across everybody all at once. And so it was a multi-year plan and we had to figure out, okay, how do we do this conversion, continue to improve on all of it. But on the background of all of this, is this plan driving the outcomes? And we had really unlocked a few key things that were working very well. But as you grow and expand those and you have longer timeframes to really assess the impact of those, you have to monitor that. And obviously, it's a very dynamic world. And so you, you want to make sure that the program is still driving the outcomes and the desired benefits. And so there was a lot of work and it was challenging at times because there were 
some different factions and a lot of different stakeholders involved that had some different points of view. So navigating all of that without having the champion of the transformation that, you know, sat in our C-suite, it would have been very, very difficult to not only do kind of that perform, but transform behind the scenes and build the capability across the team, get us to where we can actually administer all of these things and the volume and the sheer amount of data. And so that was definitely, I would say, critical. But a lot of it meant that I had to operate at 10,000 feet on a lot of things. And then I had to operate at six inches uh, on a lot of things and not only go that deep into things, but I had to go so broad because I had so many different stakeholders. And I'm actually super proud of some of the things that I hated at the time that we had to do, but we were able to really deliver excellent work, particularly around the ROI of everything that we were doing, because so many times it's hard to ever determine an ROI, let alone even just invest some time and energy to trying to calculate some ROI behind everything you're doing. And I was able to really partner with finance and a lot of other partners, and we had to get very creative, but we were able to do some really phenomenal work that looking back on, I'm kind of like, that's really cool. And and that's just one of many things looking back on, but it was definitely intensive for sure. So having the benefit of hindsight, what would you say are the biggest lessons learned, both from making the mistakes or from you know having the, those wins early on that you'd share with the broader audience? I think one thing that really stands out is it is always so critical to really have strategy and vision because it's too easy to get caught up in the rat race and the day-to-day of things. And if you don't have something that you're trying to drive and orient everything to, and, and I would say some kind of core philosophies and values that you anchor yourself to, number one, you're likely to drift and waste some time and resources. But I would say it's it's also harder for people to get on board with you and help you with what you're trying to do because they don't have a clear line of sight to what this all means and what I'm doing. And so that is really key. And I think it took me a little longer because I initially was too focused on some of the urgent aspects of things. But yeah, really stepping back and thinking through your strategy, the vision, those four values and philosophies that you're anchored to, and helping everybody else understand that. I think it just makes everybody that much more effective and I think it enables everybody to think about where their piece of the investment in sales compensation also intersects with the other functional stakeholders, enables us to get to a better comprehensive solution. Yeah, 100%. I mean, as you touch on stakeholders, I think you touched on this before, all the different inputs that you need to take when making these bigger changes, there's competing interests. That's a whole element of managing sales comp that is its own skill set and its own nuance. I guess like, again, from that perspective, how do you think about that? Well, I'll call the politically charged nature of sales comp. It's important to a lot of different stakeholders, whether it's HR, the sales leaders themselves, whose teams are impacted, finance from a comp and an actual fiscal responsibility of that amount of spend all the way to the operations teams that are actually executing. So I'm curious how, how you navigated that or the framework that you think about navigating the, the political nature of sales comp. I think it's number one, always really good to listen and and hear people out and be curious. Yeah, I think I, I heard the advice um, somewhere. I, I wish I could attribute it to the right place. But when you interact with somebody, you should always assume that you have something to learn from them, whether it's true or not. 
just enter the dialogue with that. And I think that's so critical and valuable to really listen, hear people out. I think obviously doing a lot of coaching and consultation around what you're trying to do, what the desired outcomes are, and building that kind of relationship with it. But ultimately, I like to think about sales compensation. And it's this is kind of taught in every kind of strategy sales comp framework. But sales comp really is the last step of that sales strategy. And it's where not only the sales strategy, but the entire business strategy is is realized. And so everybody's very, very passionate about that. But we all kind of want the same thing at the end of the day. It's just we have different perspectives and views on those things. And so really keeping everybody focused on some of that strategy and vision and hearing them out, asking them questions, being curious, and then trying to build that rapport so that you can share your perspectives and everybody can look at this a little bit more holistically, I think is what ultimately creates collaboration and enables some of that. Now, it's it's hard. It takes time. In my current role, where I deal with all of our businesses globally, it's very hard to have the levels of relationships than when you're sitting within the business and you're, you're one of the business partners. I'm meeting so many people all the time, different sales and finance and HR leaders in, in our 40 business units, that it's hard to have that rapport. But just being very open-minded and just having the approach on, hey, I'm here to help you. And that goes a long way and asking questions and, and being curious. Yeah, no, that's true. And so you know, maybe shifting gears a bit, the framework of kind of managing stakeholders we just talked about, I think there's an element of shifting gears to how we think about the right sales comp design approach or framework. would love to get your high-level perspective and dig into that because obviously, again, there's a very unique selling motion you're working with and you've had this opportunity for kind of engaging with all these different geos and business units within the organization. So we'd love to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, you had mentioned empathy and coming from sales earlier. And I I think that's very, very true. It's personal in several ways. And, And if I have probably one pet peeve that kind of frustrates me in the process is when people get too mathematical or just too going through the motions of designing a sales comp plan because... It is very personal. There are going to be actual people that are going to have to live with this plan. And it's critical to think about them as people. So I'm definitely very passionate about that. If you think about design, just anything, whether it's a building or it's a a product or a service, in general, there's kind of three things that you have to have. It has to be desirable. It has to be technically feasible and it needs to be economically viable. And and I think those three things apply to designing sales comp. And so what I put as the four pillars associated with designing sales comp is it needs to be strategic, needs to be compelling, needs to be simple, and it needs to be fair. And then ultimately, designing sales comp plans, because there's no perfect plan, is really optimizing those four pillars and making some trade-off decisions associated with it. Because you could over-index on any one of those four, and the plan won't be viable. You can say, hey, it's so critical, we want this plan to just be simple. Well, simple just essentially means that we're going to take the quota or the goal and we've got 10 reps. So we divide it by 10 
And we just say, hey, we're going to give you this if you achieve that. And that may be really simple, but that opportunity isn't going to be equal amongst all of those reps. So you're not going to be fair. It may not be compelling, maybe super compelling for some of them, maybe not others. But if we don't have everybody moving forward and running with the intent of the plan, it's not going to be strategic. And conversely... You could make a plan super compelling, but it could be not very viable from a ROI and economic standpoint. And so you have to really balance all four of those factors and identify what I like to call the sweet spot across the board. It's a challenge. I think the biggest challenge is really not how complex designing plans are. The biggest challenge is just investing the amount of time to really think through all of the variables and do the work to get to that sweet spot. Yeah, it is an optimization problem. We have these four pillars that we need to optimize as the outcome. So it's not even a single variable outcome that we're optimizing. It's these yeah. four pillars. You know, you're going to take a compromise if you over-index to one versus the other. And there are a lot of inputs. And I mean, this is maybe something we could dive into as we continue the conversation, but you think about is the selling motion even the same for every seller, even within the same role? You know, we, we touched on this in a previous conversation where seller selling in one geo within a country could be maybe it's a rural area versus an urban area. Should they be compensated the same way? Should we think about the selling motion the same way? What are the variables that we're optimizing there? And the more and more complexity, the more dimensions that you add to the optimization, the more complicated it is. And to your point, you need to allocate the time and have the processes to enable you to be able to do that. You yeah. said something interesting on the simplicity. And I think it is a, because you hear this all the time, this misnomer of like, complaint needs to be simple. Complaint needs to be simple. And I think it needs to be simple, but reductionism or simplification for the sake of simplification is a very dangerous game. I always use the example of theory of relativity, E equals MC squared, kind of an equation that's like, it is beautiful, not because it's a very simple formula three core variables. It's beautiful because of what it can represent, yet being so simple. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, simplifying but not getting to the desired outcome is actually a potential cause for a lot of issues. And as you talked about kind of the equity aspect, how do you think about when you're doing that analysis, you're doing that optimization, you know, what are the core dimensions and how do you filter to that yeah. as your inputs into this optimization problem? Yeah, so I think from an assessment of a plan perspective, uh, you really need to look at it across many dimensions. Like there's not one table or one chart that can really tell the story. And the devil is often in the details. It may look really good at an average, you know, kind of overall aggregate level across the work group. But what are things like for the top 10 percentile and the bottom 10 percentile? How do those two groups compare against each other? How do they compare against the median? And so I like to, number one, just really fundamentally understand a plan and get some of the basics of what is the intent of every aspect of the plan, but then really start looking at it. If it's got a bunch of KPIs in the plan, I want to see what the achievement is on every KPI and, and what the weighting of those KPIs are, because I would always assume that those lower weighted KPIs that probably shouldn't even be in the plan, whether you're actually getting focus against them, even if the overall performance across all the KPIs looks really strong and the payouts look good. And so it's very important to, to go deep. And what I like to do, one of the assessments, because think of performance distribution and what the standard deviation of achievement and do we have a good bell curve it may be skewed a little bit that's a good first pass but really taking your median earner and then plotting out the 10th percentiles across that work group and then comparing them directly against the median is always really good for me because it gives a very different picture of the payout curve and just visualizing what that slope is. And ideally, you have a good linear trend on that slope. If you do an actual payout curve slope, it's going to depend on where your accelerators and thresholds and all are. 
But when you do this look, it's actually the payouts of these percentiles. And so seeing that slope, and if there's some big changes in that slope, it's kind of what's going on, what's happening there. And really thinking about the plan from a longer term perspective, I think is also very important. What is the compensation cost of sales? If our business is growing and we're investing in our our people every year and we're seeing good payout outcomes, we ideally want to see a negative slight trend on the compensation cost of sales. So we're getting ROI on the investments that we're making in our people because I think that is so critical for leaders to see. And as they're thinking about their business and growing the business, we want to see ROI that we're making in our people return value. And so not only looking at these like individual years, but what's our three to five year trend, even if we made a lot of compensation plan changes, those are things you you really want to look across and think about. I find when you visualize a lot of these elements, it really is super insightful to all the stakeholders because really gets beyond the anecdotal of what they hear and and really visualizes what's happening. Yeah. I'm curious, how do you think about mapping the comp plan to the desired target outcome behaviors and how you do that exercise? It's one of those things where it's the data is starting to exist more and more. And I just think about an organization like PepsiCo, we are collecting more data on where our customers are in their buying journey, where, you know, where our, our sales reps are in real time and all these things that like data that we have access to in a more structured and clean and accessible way. And is there a way where we can preemptively determine, proactively determine if the actual incentives driving that target behavior that we expected when we set the design of the plan? Yeah, I would say this is definitely one of the biggest challenges, quite honestly. It's for me way harder than pay mix, leverage, and all of the other analysis, because at the end of the day, how do we measure the success? And so I think you always have to make some trade-off you know, decisions here, because no matter what it is, it has to be something you can actually track and is quantitative. And yes, we may include some qualitative factors, but ideally that if you're doing sales compensation, it's primarily going to be quantitative. And whatever you align on is going to be kind of what everybody's held to. And their opportunity, their customers, their geography are not all going to be equal. And they're going to do things that benefit the business that may not be quantifiable and may not be included in that. And this is where it gets really personal for me because we really need to be thoughtful about these KPIs that we are going to be very clear with everybody. This is what we're going to measure and this is what success is going to be based on. And ultimately, what we're providing direction to everybody on what's important and what success looks like. And this is particularly when you sit in HR, like I do, you really rely on your your sales business partners to be very, very thoughtful. And where I focus is pressure testing and helping them think more than I do kind of telling them this is a good KPI and this one isn't. Because a lot of times I kind of see two kind of errors, if you will. One, there's a lot that they want to control and there's a lot that they measure. And so they want to put it all in the plan. And so that's definitely an error. I say all the time, three or less is best and less is more. And so that's one error. The other error is gosh, there's this is really difficult to measure things and actually put in a plan when we think about our ability to set good targets on this KPI. Yes, And yes. I do a lot of coaching on that. I feel like I teach statistics 101 a lot of times where I force them to give me what the standard deviation of achievement of this KPI is. And then 
okay, let's plot out what that actually looks like. And once you kind of get beyond that exercise and you're being thoughtful about the KPIs that you're including, it's kind of, gosh, there's no perfect KPI. So how do we land on this? And and this is much easier, obviously, for sales and sales compensation. I do a little bit of this from a supply chain perspective. And so then you're talking about manufacturing and warehousing and transportation. And, and that's where these KPIs can get even more difficult because uh, revenue, volume are very objective and very quantitative, but quotas and targets can be a challenge there as well. And so at the end of the day, you 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 really do have to align on some eventual KPIs and you have to recognize we can learn here. And I've seen some of our businesses evolve quite a bit over the years from a quota setting perspective, just to make these KPIs more robust increase the effectiveness of our our sales comp plans. But sometimes you're testing it out and you're figuring it out as you go. And that's where a lot of art has to come in, but you need to be grounded by a lot of science and a lot of philosophies and core values. Yeah, I think it's interesting because as the sales organization becomes more complex, where for a single dollar of revenue, that is produced the touch and handoff across six, seven, eight different sellers across this buying journey for the customer, the contribution that this person has made to this dollar being generated further and further upstream becomes harder and harder to kind of measure and tie back to that performance. And so these KPIs become harder to track. And I think you touch on like the supply chain side of things versus that in you know the individual that's bringing the the contract across the line as an example i think what's interesting is we set comp plans and i'm curious to get your perspective on this we set comp plans and we align on a kpi that of course we have to be able to measure we have to be able to set targets appropriately and this is one where because of that we tend to make compromises in some cases like we don't have the ideal kpi it's being built out it's being tested we're going to make a compromise to actually produce a better outcome that's more equitable, that we're more confident behind. But do you ever run the experiments where, okay, we're going to roll out this component, this measure, and the goal of this measure, this component of the plan is to actually drive an increase in this KPI that's so far removed from the final dollar of revenue. Are you ever looking or kind of creating a process or behavior map to the steps that... Yeah, so it's interesting because particularly if you think about supply chain, it is an activity-based incentive KPI usually. You don't have the revenue kind of booking that you do in sales. And so I was very familiar with activity-based KPIs from that perspective. But for sales, we do utilize some activity-based KPIs. And, and I would say I was very reluctant initially to really weight these in a plan. Because some of them, it's kind of like we give them a salary or a base you know, to show up and do some of these things. I don't see why we need to include this in a plan, but ultimately sales compensation is a tool to create focus. And if we want focus from our people on certain things, it is a lever for a business to pull to create that focus. And it does give it a higher degree of importance when you put it into a plan. And I I think there's also an aspect of here with the evolution of seller to a trusted advisor, there's potentially more activities that are going to be associated with the selling process. and, And we should be open to that. I think that there's an opportunity to test out some of these KPIs, but behind the scenes. Okay, we think we might be able to use this metric. We can't do it at that level of granularity just yet because we don't have the data. We don't have enough confidence of setting targets. But through a variety of different ways, whether it's coaching, maybe it's communication. I always think about the selling experience. How do you get a sales rep, a seller to understand that doing behavior X, Y, and Z is going to generate more money for me? And 
could we, you know, through the design of a comp plan, recognize that, okay, we're actually targeting this KPI, this KPI, and this KPI in behind the scenes, and really use different tactics to A-B test whether this KPI could be a measure of success in the future for us to use in front of the seller. It's kind of an interesting concept as more and more data becomes available to us, as we get more and more confident. Yeah, this is where I very much wonder about the potential of AI down the road, because there's definitely so many things that you would love to test and try and find nuggets of things that you could leverage bigger and broader. And I think there's an aspect, uh, particularly as it relates to activities, if you think about tasks. And if you created a bunch of tasks as a plan, and we, we want to see X, Y, and Z that are done. And if you think about our use case here, as I mentioned, short sales cycle, we're everywhere. We have these really strong, compelling brands. And so our sellers, a lot of times, are doing things like hanging signage and putting up point of sale materials. They're resetting a cooler, and so they're changing the order in which our brands are displayed in there, and they're doing a lot of little things. And I like to say it's a game of inches, and there's a great Al Pacino speech equating American football to being a game of inches. I think it's very true with our sellers as well. There's a million little things that they can do to make their customers, their business stronger. And a lot of them are very little and they're things we can't necessarily fully measure. But if you think about all these little things, if we had a KPI that was saying, hey, make sure all of these dollar generals have this signage up and they've got this display and they've got this planogram set on this shelf, and some of those things they're doing, some of them, they may not have the urgency or the focus around doing. And depending on all of the many things that they're trying to do and balance, we may have them focus on some other things. And so leveraging AI to quantify some of those things, to create a KPI of, hey, you've got these 20 tasks this week go out and make sure these are executed that are very personalized for you and your customer base and the opportunity that exists in the market and it's influenced by that. And then image recognition, all of the different things that you can submit to where it's not self-reported and self-tracked and rolled up. I think there's an immense amount of potential out there. And really, it enables, I think, a sales rep to become potentially much more effective earlier in their career because they don't have to learn all of the many, many little things that bring together growing their business. It's kind of a little bit more formulated and given to them and communicated timely when they need it. And so I think there's huge amount of potential that I'm excited. Now, that's very intimidating. We have a long way to go to get there, but it's pretty cool what could happen down the road. Yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, it's basically bringing the world of incentives outside of sales to the world of sales. We see this every day, right? Whether it's our news feed for social media, whether it's the gamification in the latest generation of world yeah. of gaming is... yeah. There's so many lessons that can be applied. It's you need to tailor to the individual. And it's actually kind of one of the, the future world of sales comp. I think it can't be a one size fits all. The organizations that don't start to think about individualization, the leveraging that all the pieces that can come together. I love your point of the, it's a game of inches. To get to that number, it's about doing this with this customer, doing this with this customer, then following up with this and then doing this. And so these steps is all about slight movements and if I think about the seller experience and you think about gamification and some of the kind of consumer loyalty and incentive programs that exist, it's about nudging that end user, the seller in this case, to the steps they need to take and how it connects with that overall large incentive that they're working towards. Yeah. And to kind of riff off of what you said, imagine it being kind of like the play your own adventure in sales comp and you pull up your sales comp portal and it's telling you, you know, you want to get to this number, you put it in the target, you want to get to this number, 
here are 30 or 40 steps that you can take that will inch you there. And even if it's not tying dollars to those steps, but at least it's attributing that if you do this step, you'll likely see an X percent uplift and kind of guiding and nudging and having that connectivity. And it's not that far out. I actually think the data is starting to exist across the organizations, the technology and the tools. I mean, this is kind of why on a formal basis, this is why I founded the business. And, and I think to me, there's a massive untapped potential for the amount of money that we spend in sales comp. There's an opportunity to really optimize and generate real ROI for most organizations if we kind of paint that vision of what, what does three to five years look like? I'm curious what your thought is on the seller experience in a world where individualized incentives exist. So I think... It's exciting to me because it provides really recognition of the individual value that they're doing. And it's not just this end number, but it's recognizing some of the little things that people are doing. And so I think there's a great amount of potential there. I think the thing that gives me some caution and and hesitation is you don't want to give everybody plan for all of this individual outcomes to where it becomes a, okay, I need to hit on all of these things just so I get my target. There needs to be an ability to run and it needs to be really compelling for them and that they can really receive rewards. And so I think if we get greedy with it and it becomes a you know, we've carved out this much variable pay mix and you've got to check these 50 boxes to get there. I think that's going to blow back. It's going to have the opposite intent. And so you really have to give people that compelling pillar in relation to where we go with this. And I'm actually reading a book right now, which is The Human Side of Innovation, The Power of People in Love with People. And this is actually by the chief design officer at PepsiCo. His name's uh, Mauro Porcini. And he talks about innovation. And I've only gotten a few chapters in telling kind of his journey and story, and it's pretty fascinating. But when we think about innovation, I love, and this is literally at the very beginning of the book, Innovation is an act of love, or at least it should be, always. It is a gesture of empathy, respect, generosity of one human being's devotion to another. And I think with your question about that world of individualized incentives, that's a huge innovation. And it should be an act of love as he describes it here. It should be having that empathy, that respect and being generous and really it it being, yes, about the business and delivering the business outcomes, but also having that compellingness. And so I think as you hear about AI, I'm a little frustrated with a lot of the discussion about AI because it seems like it's so focused on just automating work. And I'm like, no, our focus with AI should be the empowerment of people. That's where we're going to get cost benefit and all of the things that we want. But it really should be, how do we empower people? And I, I think that's a good core philosophy and foundation for sales comp into the future. Yeah, I love that. And I think you know, there's two parts there. One, the statement of innovation is kind of An act of love. An act of love is a beautiful statement for a lot of reasons. I mean, if you think we are all in this journey that we call life, and at the end of the day, we're trying to move ourselves to be more empowered, to elevate every single human being's life. And I know it's funny because, you know, you you think about when you start a startup or you start a business or, you know, you work in a specific field, why are you doing that and how does that contribute? And I think about to me, when I get asked that question about sales comp, I, I say there's 15 million people in the US that are sales professions. That means there's 15 million people who go home every day and get paid based off of a target and how they perform against that target. And you think about the work that I used to do back in my consulting days, come in, apply this analytics to try to figure out back to the framework that you described earlier 
on what's the right plan incentives. And our goal is to make it equitable and fair. But there are so many dimensions of variability when you look at the sales motion and sales process. And are we capturing, you know, how much of that the dimensions that make one seller's territory different than another are we actually capturing? How many dimensions about the actual individual person are we capturing? This is something that I saw was missing in, in entirety. When we think about sales comp, we rarely take into account not every human being is motivated the same way, right? We are different people and we have different psychologies and different motivations and we treat it all the same. And so I do believe that the individualized approach to sales comp is not just about the business doing better. I think it's about treating every human the way, motivating them, coaching them, enabling them to be successful. And I actually think that'll generate a better customer experience. Every organization has a 15%, 20%, sorry, not every organization, but on average, a turnover for your sales organization of anywhere between 10 to 20% is within the norm. And so that means that 10 to 20% of our customers are seeing disruption in the people that they work with. There's just so many things about the sales role and individualizing and leveraging all the data at our disposal to make the experience better for the seller, the customer, and ultimately the business. I mean, that future excites me. It's kind of, it's the future that we're working towards. I guess, again, given your experience and your background, having been a seller, I'm curious, how do you think the seller will take it as they think about, okay, I have different incentives that are nudging me in a certain way. I think your point earlier on having the opportunity to earn your OTE and a clear path to that for sure. But as an individual seller, I get slightly different incentives than my peers. How do you balance out the perception potentially of inequality, even though if you're optimizing the algorithms right and leveraging you know, the AI the way we should be and testing it, you will get a much more equitable and fair outcome. How do you manage perceptions? That's a great question. I, I don't know that I've got a great answer, but I've thought about it a lot. One of the interesting things is, and this kind of gets into broader rewards, when you give people a choice, they tend to pick the safest option. And I do firmly believe that incentives plans work not really just because of the upside, they work because of the downside. And, and we are very much motivated to not experience downside. And so that drives you towards getting your target, but then also then exceeding the target. I think it gets very difficult to personalize stuff, particularly when you know that 99% of the time, if even if you give them options, they're going to pick whatever the safest one is. So then it becomes very difficult to, okay, what do you key off of to differentiate things? And I think there's a lot that we have to learn there. I think AI can help out quite a bit, but it's going to take a while. And I would say AI can't do that for us without a lot of human training because bias can come into play very, very quickly and coefficients will be created that are not what we, we want to have in those values. And so we have to be very cautious there. I think a lot of it, if you think about Amazon, and Amazon is personalizing all kinds of stuff for all of us at, at any point in time, and, and there's probably some level of fairness in the different things that they're doing, but then there's some that may not be as equal as we would hope, but we don't always necessarily know those things behind the scenes. But our employees are going to expect us to kind of treat them as consumers because they're treated as a consumer in every other aspect of their life. And so I think we all are getting a little bit more comfortable of companies personalizing things for our benefits, but it's still very early. And I'm excited about the journey of how this is going to flush out and play out as it relates to sales comp, but it's still difficult to envision. A lot to figure out still. Yeah, there's a lot. And I think what your point earlier around AI should be the enablement, not just, okay, how do we automate the work? It's If you think about it, think about the number of decisions that we make every day versus the average number of decisions that were made in a similar type of role or similar type of position even 20 years ago. 
Yeah. And that's ultimately technology is enabling humans to make decisions faster with more data and more confidence. And I think the more you can take away that repetitive, you know, the repetitive work, the repetitive nature and make the orchestration of it seamless, then it can enable us to be more creative, iterate faster. And I think I use the autonomous car analogy all the time. It's there are going to be accidents, but when the accidents happen initial in the early days, they're going to be right on the you know front page of the news and, and it's going to be a really big deal. But when you factor in the number of accidents per 10 million miles driven versus a human being, over time, the goal is to have that be a fraction. And so it's going to be the same situation, right? When you get to that individualized incentive future and treating that individual as a consumer. Yeah, yeah certainly there's a very, very interesting future ahead for the world of sales comp. And it seems like it will be a transformational shift because a lot has to move to handle that level of increased complexity. And a lot has to change how we operate in order to do that. Yeah, definitely. I want to take the time to thank you for joining and, and sharing your feedback. Obviously, your, your 26 years of experience and kind of scaling through an organization like the PepsiCo's of the world and all your roles. I think it's tremendously helpful for the audience to hear from you know sales comp leader like yourself. And just leave you with two questions here before we wrap up. One is, is there any, whether it's a book a favorite book or a resource that you think would be tremendously helpful for the sales comp leaders that are listening or up and coming uh, sales comp professionals? Yeah, I would actually give the Lex Friedman podcast some love. I think the conversations that are occurring on that podcast, and I I love podcasts because I'm a a runner. And so listening to podcasts uh, helps me get through the long runs, uh, especially. I think they make me think so much. And and even though it's kind of detached and distant, there's a lot of things about technology, about digital, about humanity, psychology, philosophy, all of those things I do think intersect with sales comp and you have to be very broad based. And so it's one that I definitely enjoy. And I, I know he's gotten some following, but just to make sure uh, everybody's aware of it. Yeah, I agree. First time I've heard that on this specific show, but I think there's a there's some great episodes that Lex Friedman has, and I think the caliber of expertise within the domains, you know, the, of the discussions, whether it's health, technology, AI, and and kind of getting that very broad perspective and bringing it back to the world that we live in certainly helps. At the very minimum, the creativity element of sales comp uh, is certainly something that that it could help with. And so then, you know, I'm curious on the other side of things, how leaving this conversation today, grateful for all the feedback and all the knowledge that you've shared. If a listener wants to get a hold of you or reach out, what's the best way to, to do so? LinkedIn is probably the best, not necessarily on there every day, but definitely do monitor it and, and have some good conversations with the community out there. And so definitely reach out if you search John Waldron, PepsiCo. I should definitely pop up there very quickly. It's not a super common name, but there are a lot of John Waldron's out there. So do PepsiCo in the search. And yeah, and then if you attend, you know, World at Work, SalesCon, I'll hopefully be there every single year. So love to chat. Well, again, thank you, John, for joining. I really enjoyed the discussion today. Me too. Thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Great dialogue and discussion. I enjoyed it. The Sales Compensation Show is brought to you by Forma AI, the first sales compensation platform designed around the agile methodology of CompOps. To learn more about how Forma AI can help design, execute, and optimize your sales comp strategy, visit Forma.ai. Find us by searching for Sales Compensation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. On behalf of the team here at Forma AI, thanks for listening.